0: This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation.
1: One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. As expected, Russian President Vladimir Putin invaded the Ukraine last week, sending thousands of Russian troops spilling over the border, and fighter jets bombing the country just to Russia's west. Observers are calling this the largest military outbreak in Europe since World War II. What impact will the war have on the globe? And with oil being Russia's greatest export, how will the outbreak affect the world's energy market? We are so fortunate today to have Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Will Englund with us. He's a former longtime Russian correspondent for the Baltimore Sun and Washington Post who did four stints of reporting duty in Russia over the 25 year period. Welcome, Will.
0: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining us. As I stated, many are calling this outbreak the most serious since World War II. How do you see it stacking up in terms of history?
0: Well, it's interesting uh, that people seem to have forgotten what happened in Yugoslavia in the 1990s, but that was drawn out, and it was, it was a civil war, and, and uh, you know, it, it got an awful lot of attention at the time, but it didn't really seem to have a great resonance for the rest of the world unlike this one you know you, you began by pointing out that uh, Russia is a big oil producer it's a it's a big country um, the any any effect any effort to uh, isolate it which is going on right now by the West is going to naturally have an effect on economies around the world and this is seen as much more of a strategic oh what do I want to say? pivot point, hot spot um, than than Yugoslavia was, and Mm -hmm. it's it's a real possibility of bringing Russia and the West into, you know, uh, a steeper uh, confrontation.
1: And uh, you mentioned you were the energy reporter for the Washington Post for a while, so you know this issue. Uh, oil went up a hundred dollars a barrel last week. Are we going to see more of that? People paying for this at the pump?
0: Well, uh, uh, yes and no. It, it's gone down uh, into the nineties today. West Texas Intermediate was at ninety-one dollars a barrel when I checked a few minutes ago. Um, but it's and and that's because the West has so far chosen not to sanction. Russian energy producers, um, because uh, fear it would hurt the hurt the c- customers, the West, Western customers, as much as it would hurt the Russian producers. Um, so it doesn't look like it's necessarily going to spiral out of control upwards, but it doesn't really look like it's going to be able to go much down either. Mm-hmm. OPEC is going to increase its production by 400,000 barrels a day next week. Mm -hmm. Um, That's about four-tenths of 1% of world production. So it's not gonna make a gigantic difference
1: wow and i i heard someone call putin this week the most ruthless russian leader since stalin and i thought that's a pretty tall order given some of the nation's premiers, such as nikita khrushchev and we had communist party leader Leonid brezhnev and we had boris yeltsin where does he stand historically in your mind you got a front row seat watching the sky rise
0: i th- i i think in the ruthlessness sweepstakes he outclasses Khrushchev and Brezhnev and, and, <laughs> and, and Dropov and Chernenko and Gorbachev and Yeltsin. Um, uh, no, he, he has used violence uh, in ways that no Russian leader since Stalin has, for sure.
1: And um, he was very, um, I guess, always has been very vocal about the breakup of the former Soviet Union. He called it the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century and was actually very um, not happy with the fall of the Berlin Wall. But he has a particular beef with the Ukraine. What's that about?
0: Well, <laughs> you know, calling it the breakup of the Soviet Union, the ge- geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century, is saying something when you look back and think about what happened in the 20th century. I mean, we're talking about World War II for
1: one Sure, <laughs>
0: sure. Uh, um, but the thing is, uh, uh, this is something that I, I've been aware of for a very long time. Russia without Ukraine is not uh, an empire, or as the Russians would say, an imperia. Mm. And it was when the Ukrainians voted in a, in a fair and public referendum, in the 1991, in August of 1991, for independence from the Soviet Union, that spelled the end of the Soviet Union. It, it, wow. it stumbled on for a few more months. Wow! But without Ukraine, you could not have a Soviet Union. And mm. I think Putin was very aware of that. Uh, and uh, he, I believe he doesn't see Russia as being complete unless it has Ukraine in one form or another under its thumb. And the Ukrainians uh, don't care for that idea. I think, I think Putin has, has poisoned the well, in a sense, by seizing Crimea, but in particular by fomenting this separatist rebellion in the eastern provinces starting in 2014. And, and before then, there might have been quite a lot of Ukrainians who would think, OK, we can live with Russia. That's OK. But mm-hmm. today, not so much.
1: Yeah, and Crimea just seemed to fall pretty quickly. I mean, it didn't seem to be a lot of backlash on him. Um, you didn't hear a lot about that war. Did um, the, the, the fact that he was able to go in and take that, um, you know, does that does that kind of put the West on a little bit more? I'm going to alert that hey, we got to stop this thing.
0: Well, yeah, people are certainly arguing about that a lot right now. You know, should should the West have been stronger? The thing was, the Russians had with with the agreement of ukraine had a very large military bases in crimea particularly the russian navy base um, and it was pretty easy for them just to you know take their guns out and without a shot being fired really uh, take control of that whole peninsula the inhabitants with with the exception of the muslim minority were for the most part russian-speaking they, they were oriented toward Moscow more than they were toward Kiev. Um, so there wasn't a lot of public resistance. And the geography of the place made it very difficult for Ukraine as a, as a state to to counter that. And I think there was a feeling in the West that this was pretty outrageous, and, you know, very outrageous, but at the same time, uh, in Russian minds, Crimea is a strategic asset on the Black Sea. But, mm-hmm. you know... That's if you're going to go to war against Bulgaria or somewhere like that. The Black Sea is, a, is a, you know, is closed off by Turkey in mm-hmm. essence. Uh, they they control the straits leading to it. So it wasn't seen by the West, you know, which is starting which is looking at global issues and the growing power of China and the rest of that. Okay, Russia has increased its authority in the Black Sea. We can live with that. I think that was the attitude.
1: And you did a special report it was called "Behind the Barricades of the Ukraine." What does this invasion mean to the country and its people? You kind of it was kind of interesting when you mentioned that this isn't the same Ukraine that voted in nineteen ninety one to to leave Russia, and you were there as as that all happened. Uh, what does this mean to the Ukraine right now? Well, that's that's a
0: really interesting question. That 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 the thing that I did, a video I did about behind the barricades, was from the revolution in twenty fourteen in which Ukrainians, uh, how can I put this, pro-Western Ukrainians, rose up uh, in anger against a very, very corrupt president um, who was in cahoots with Russia. He he wasn't a Russian puppet, but he was a guy named Yanukovych. He was uh, oriented toward Russia, I guess you would say. And he, he put the kibosh on a plan for Ukraine to join an association agreement with the European Union. And when he did that, these protests started, and he sent in the cops, and the cops kind of really screwed up and, you know, weren't able to clear the protests, but were able to make a lot of more people even angrier, and that happened a couple of times. And pretty soon you had, you know, the whole center of Kiev as a huge, gigantic encampment, excuse me, using the Russian pronunciation, the whole center of Kiev. As a Russia, as a protest encampment, and um, Yanukovych was was weak. I think Putin saw him as a kind of a pathetic dictator. And uh, in February of 2014, he he fled the scene. There had been sniping going on uh, on on the encampment by police snipers. Um, a lot of sort of paramilitary thugs mm. swooping in and beating up people. Uh, about a hundred people died. During that confrontation, and it really, really radicalized a very large number of Ukrainians. Radicalized in the sense of made them realize that Russia was not their friend.
1: Right, right. Um, it, it kind of led me when you mentioned the the pro-West. Um, if you were to split Ukraine up right now and say, you know, what percentage is lean to the West? What percentage still kind of sees Russia as the Russia as the mother country? What would you say it is?
0: Well, I, I don't have you know kind of demographic data um, right uh, but the, <laughs> the the thing is with the those two breakaway republics in the east which was which was the center of pro-russian feeling as well as crimea with those gone uh the pro-russian feeling in ukraine is very small hmm. there are there are I mean, even among russian speakers and ukrainian speakers both um there's a feeling of kind of ukrainian citizenship ukrainian Nationality. Now there are politicians and business people who see relations with Russia as, you know, perhaps being more profitable, and have been argue, right. arguing for that. But mm-hmm. there isn't. I think there's much less of that. What do you, What do you want to say? Instinctual, cultural, uh, emotional feeling toward Russia that that once existed.
1: And I, as, I, as you mentioned that, I, I think of this picture of, you know, these poor people looking to the West, waiting for us to, to come in and rescue them. What is going to happen here? I mean, what can we do? Um, as, as I guess the West, not just the United States, but the West, what can they do in response to this?
0: The, uh, I mean, President Biden has made very clear he's not going to send American troops to Ukraine. And I think, I think uh, it would be... a, a, a Extremely provoking thing to do so, and you know we might find ourselves at war with the, with Russia, which I don't, I don't think anybody wants to see that. Um, the U.S. and uh, the other NATO countries have supplied Ukraine with a great deal of munitions over the last couple of years. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen pictures of Russian tanks that have been, you know, blown to bits, and I I, I take it that this is the these are the Javelin anti-tank missiles that the U.S. supplied to the Ukrainians following 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, there's moral support. Uh, there are, are undoubtedly pr- going to be weapons supplies, uh, as long as there are Ukrainians fighting. Um, I, it, it seems like an intervention would be a a step too far, um, and I, if if I were in charge, I think I would see it the same way.
1: Yeah, and how about the Ukrainian Union you know, Ukraine being able to fight off? I mean, this is Russia. This is one of the superpowers. What is their ability to repel this at all?
0: Well, uh, we're two. <laughs> we two days into this war, and and they have had uh, some success in slowing the Russian advance. A little more than than some military analysts thought. Now, let me just point out. I'm neither a military analyst nor am I in Ukraine at the moment, so I'm, I'm just basing what I'm going to say on, you know, what I've been reading. Um, it, obviously, Russia has a much stronger and much more powerful army than Ukraine does. It's difficult to imagine that in the long run, of in the this first phase of the fighting, they would be stopped from doing what they want to do. And so that raises one question is, what do they want to do? Do they want to, you know, occupy the whole country, or do they want to take Kiev and overthrow the government and then retreat from Kiev again? Um, if they're intent on occupation, which, from what Putin was saying in the last couple of days, does sound like the plan, I think that's going to be extremely difficult for the Russians, and they're going to have, uh, you know, a guerrilla war on their hands. Um, Putin has been very adept at avoiding such situations when he's used the military in the past. He went to war against the country of Georgia in 2008. He's, uh, you know, intervened in Syria. There's never been an effort in either of those cases to kind of occupy the country. Um, It's been airstrikes and, you know, uh, not surgical is a word I hate in wartime, but, you know, uh, very, very pointed and and targeted kind of uh, thrusts into the country, achieve an objective, and, um, you know, pull back to where you were before. But Putin's addresses, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, have, in which he's just, um, uh, get, you know, lambasted Ukraine in the most visceral and and kind of unhinged terms, have, have really been striking. I mean, today he called on Ukrainian soldiers to to overthrow their own government, to get rid of the <clears throat> The, the, the neo Nazis and the drug drug addicts who are had holding Ukraine hostage. I mean, it's it is crazy talk, um, and I I wonder what the end game will be for Russia here because if they are intent on on holding a whole country, a restive, angry, you know, hate, spiteful country with with which currently has a great deal of armaments of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's asking for trouble. I think.
1: Yeah. Is this another Afghanistan?
0: Well, if if the Russians play their cards wrong, I think it could be. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Although, are we talking about Afghanistan in terms of the Soviet experience or in terms of the American experience?
1: (laughs) It's, I guess, both. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, the graveyard of empires. (laughs) But uh, yeah, how about the Russian people? There was uh, one report I I read where they said, you know, this was Putin trying to uh, divert attention from some of the domestic problems he's having with the economy. This seems to be a pretty pretty broad stroke to do that. But how do you think the Russian people are going to handle this?
0: I I I think that, that that idea that this was to divert attention comes from his having been very popular after taking Crimea because Russians really saw a, a in their own minds a link between themselves and, and Crimea that doesn't exist now. Um, I I don't again Putin's addresses have been so so visceral and so you know spitting mad. Um, just the idea of there being a Ukrainian state i don't think this is really about trying to win popularity at home and i will i have to honestly say i haven't been in russia for 3 years now but i was surprised at the turnout on protests in not only in moscow and in st petersburg but in novosibirsk and other cities across the country and the public letters of denunciation by Some journalists and scientists and uh, people in the um, arts—it's—it's—it is is a little amazing that at this point people can still be so brave. Um, And whether that, in the end, amounts to anything, I guess we'll have to see. But it is—it is striking that he's—he's called forth this opposition so so immediately.
1: And we we haven't seen that in the past, right? I mean, we haven't seen it as strong as it is right now um, in Russia. I mean, you know firsthand what it's like that you were you were detained there for for a while, and and uh, you know firsthand what the Russian government can do. So, as you say, it it's pretty surprising that people are are coming out and um, so uh, vehemently protesting this move.
0: It's it's not a mass movement. I mean, we're not talking about hundreds of thousands. Right. the streets, But, but you know, thousands, that's something, that's a beginning. If, if, if it leads to any the, the cops, of course, arrested, I forget now what the number was, but something over a thousand people arrested, uh, they detained in, in the Russian legal system, which is less than an arrest, detained over a thousand people um, Thursday night. Um, well, so we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's now the global villain, I would think, right now. What does this do for his global reputation? What's uh, what's going on out there in terms of people looking at him now? Is he just looking at his big bully?
0: Well, yes. I I felt that the um, one of the most striking things was the support Ukraine got from uh, African nations in the United Nations. The uh, address by the ambassador from Kenya talking about colonialism and neocolonialism and imperialism, I thought was, was very powerful. And I thought, you know, he understands what's going on here. Um, you know, China has talked about, in very mild terms, talked about respecting Ukraine's borders. And, and uh, after, you know, again, after Putin's kind of crazy talk, particularly today, um, people are wondering, you know, does Xi Jinping, the president of China, how close does he actually want to be to this guy? I mean mm-hmm. natural mm-hmm. China would be a natural sort of ally against the mm-hmm. West, but, but you yeah, know China has its own fish to fry, and it doesn't want to get caught up in 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 you know crazy show,
1: yeah, that was my next question you know China I guess everybody's watching and we talk about superpowers now, it's the United States, Russia, and China, I guess, and they have been fairly quiet on this, do you think? I think they're yes, I think they're
0: obviously watching very intently, and uh, they, they want to see how it's going to go. And, of course, there are many people who are worrying that this could set some sort of precedent for Taiwan if China wanted to, you know, take military action to reabsorb Taiwan, um, uh, or perhaps just sort of cement further their their possession in the sense of the South China Sea. Um, I, you know, I don't think China is going to Put the brakes on Putin, um, but I, I, I think they're kind of keeping all all this at arm's length for the time being, and you know, see how it shakes out. See what the West, how the West conducts itself.
1: And you, Taiwan is a great topic to bring up because we have stood pretty strong with Taiwan. And what is the U.S.'s role? I mean, it, 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 you know, people always say we're not the policemen of the world, but, um, you know, we, we we have a role in this. And, and you, like I said, Ukraine's looking at us and, and seeing what we're doing. How do you think President Biden has handled this so far?
0: Well, on, on Taiwan, let me just say, um, the United States does not have a mutual defense treaty with Taiwan. But if China attacked, I think there'd be a much greater likelihood of the US entering into a shooting war there than in <laughs> Ukraine. Um, uh, Biden, on the Ukraine side, is getting pretty low marks. I saw a Washington Post poll today, which showed him with 33% approval on the, his handling of Ukraine and 47% disapproval. It surprises me a little bit. I think he's been actually handling it pretty well. Um, the, uh, you know, there's been this whole change in in American policy where, you know, the administration has just been releasing all kinds of intelligence um, all fall along predicting what was going to happen. I think it has put Putin off off balance to some extent um, from time to time. Um, A lot of people mocked it when, you know, the invasion did not happen on February 16th or or whatever. Uh, Well, you know, nobody's mocking it now. turns out American intelligence was right um, and I, I do wonder whether that had, has helped this release of the intelligence has helped to, um, uh, unify, uh, the NATO countries
1: in a way that might've been much more difficult if they had done this. The sanctions, what do you think about these sanctions that have been imposed? Do they, do they have an effect? I mean, I, whenever I see sanctions, I, I see the people getting hurt a little more than the government. And, um, and does, does that happen here or is, are these really something that could make him change his ways.
0: Well, you know, I'm I'm going to give you a a namby-pamby answer to that, which is we're going to have to see what happens. The the sanctions have been portrayed by the people who drew them up as really uh, pretty earth-shaking for the Russian economy, Mm -hmm. cutting off banks um, uh, and, you know, sanctioning the assets of a whole slew of oligarchs, Russian oligarchs, those those assets that they have abroad in the United States and in Europe. Other people are mocking them. Um, One thing about sanctions is it's often possible for countries to get around them. I mean, Mm -hmm. North Korea has been an expert at that, and Mm the Iranians have done it. Um, The South African sanctions, going back to the apartheid days, a lot of people think that in the end they did have an impact. Yeah, they sure did. It was gradual, you know, it Mm -hmm. was slow, and Putin, I'm, I'm sorry, not Putin, Biden, said yesterday, you know, they're not going to, Putin's not going to throw his hands up and say, oh my gosh, sanctions, I better pull back. But over time, they are likely to have a an effect, a powerful effect on Russia, if they're as well designed as the people who wrote them hope that they are. Um, and will they, Will will they affect ordinary Russians? Yes. Uh, you know, and that is actually part of the idea i think is to you know yeah
1: that's the strategy get them riled up and and yeah. have them and, put pressure on
0: let them understand that, that there's pain here
1: yeah consequences yeah what do you see as the u.s role as i said everybody says hey we're not the world's policemen but what role do we have here what responsibility do we have here <laughs> well i i oh, that's secretary you know, that, of that, state that, england we need, yeah, that's, <laughs> we that, need that, that's, your answer yeah, that, that's, <laughs>
0: That's been a tough question ever since 1917. And I I wrote a book about 1917. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. We'll
1: talk about that.
0: When that question first came up. Um, You know, as much as the United States would like to worry about Asia and not Europe, as much as the United States and many Americans, you know, would think, uh, you know, it's time to take care of our problems at home, I guess I myself belong to the camp that says the U.S. has a Definite role in the world. It's not probably a role that should be carried out by people holding guns. Right. Um, uh, I don't think we need to, any more military adventures around the world. But there's but there's plenty that can be done to stay active um, in the international arena. that that's that's the best I can give you at the moment.
1: I read something this week. It was kind of interesting, and and uh, someone it was it was a someone from two thousand seven. I guess when NATO started making uh, overtures to the Ukraine, and some people saying, "Hey, we we kick sand in their face. We 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 started this in a way by you know trying to pull them into NATO." Do you see it that way at all?
0: I think there's some truth to that. Yeah, um, I think that was very ill-advised, uh, and. I believe it was the administration of George W Bush that was kind of behind it because the, the fact is and it's still a fact Ukraine is almost certain never to enter NATO uh, Ukraine right. doesn't doesn't have the the uh, democratic governance I mean I mean it has it has vote elections it has demo, demo you know a democratic system but it, it doesn't have the uh, um, foundations of Civil society; it doesn't have the wealth; it doesn't have the lack of corruption. That's the main thing that would enable it to join in as an ally with NATO countries. And who would have to subscribe? You know, Article Five says an attack on any member is an attack on the whole whole uh, treaty organization. Um, and you know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure Portugal wants to go to war over um, a Russian incursion in eastern Ukraine.
1: <laughs> you know those portuguese they could be pretty tough i don't know will <laughs> uh, um and um yeah it, it's 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 very interesting in the sense that um uh the united states has always played a role in europe i mean when we think of world war ii and and we think of of what happened there but um I, I don't I don't know it, it'll be interesting to see what happens to these uh to these um, sanctions we talk about Ukrainian president you mentioned back in 2014 what was happening there now the president right now is kind of being mocked uh, he's an old comedian an old comic and people don't think he's handling this um, super well what do you think he's been doing how do you think he's been doing
0: well he's he's been dealt a pretty bad hand sure. Um, the, the interesting thing you know is he came to power at, uh with a great deal of public support um his part, his party swept parliament you know he was totally in control of the, both the legislative and executive branch uh, part of his campaign theme was uh you know let's let's patch this up in the east let's get better relations with russia and in 2019 there were actually two prisoner exchanges between uh, um, well, between Russia or the Russian-backed separatists and, uh, and Ukraine. And people saw this as, you know, a really positive sign, a step in the right direction. But somehow, Putin has lost interest in, in Zelensky, um, the president, um, and decided that he's not going to be able to make any more progress with him. And uh, I, I want to pick my words here carefully. In... 2019, when um, President Trump was suddenly facing impeachment over his denying or trying to deny uh, military assistance to Ukraine, military you know, equipment material to Ukraine, in exchange for, you know, um, they're digging investigating up investigating Biden's son. Or, 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 or or I, I, I guess I would say inventing some dirt. <laughs> On Biden's time, what he wanted. I mean, I think Zelensky was, you know, clearly. I mean, for a while, you you I, you would see him in public and think this guy. You know, was thinking to himself, "What in the world have I gotten into? How did I get caught between the American Democrats and the and the White House? Something like this." So at that point, I think Putin really was deciding. You know, Zelensky was not going to be helpful to him any further. Um, I think Putin probably, you know, of course, was aware that Trump was naysaying NATO everywhere and wanted to pull the U.S. out of it. And so Putin probably figured, okay, let's, you know, I'll just stand back here and let's see what happens and maybe that'll happen. But when Biden defeated Trump, I think that's when Putin decided, okay, I've got to go in and start, Uh, if I can use this phrase, rattling some cages, and (laughs) um,
1: uh, I'm going to have to take the initiative here on Ukraine. What do you see playing out here? I mean, it's hard to predict, as you say. It's only three days in, and but we've had a lot of that saber rattling all over the world. And as a result of this, what do you think is going to happen? What do you, what do you see happening there? If, if Putin, uh,
0: if the army, if the Russian army takes Kiev and they install some, you know, puppet, as so-called president, and they leave a garrison in Kiev and uh, a corridor leading back to the Russian border, and remain, remain in the east, and then stop fighting. I think that that is one way it might play out. And then you'll ha- you'll have a sort of a rump Ukraine, and you might have Zelensky in, in the western part of the country.
1: Still, it's almost like a, a Germany, East Germany,
0: West Germany, o- almost, East Germany. Almost, yeah. Um, I, 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 that's conceivable to me. If, if, as I said before. Putin's idea is he's going to, you know, turn Ukraine into the Russian camp, mm-hmm. take the whole country, in a sense. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's going to end very badly for Putin and end very badly for most everybody else as well, Right, particularly, particularly Ukrainians.
1: Well, I could talk about this with you probably a whole day, but uh, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, and giving us your, your expertise because you were there. You watched this rise. You had the front row seat. Tell us what you're doing now. I know you just retired from the Washington Post uh, after a great 45-year career, and I congratulate you on that. And thank also you. thank you for your service. You did write a book about Russia back in about 2017. Tell us about that.
0: Well, the book is called March 1917, um, and everybody should go out and buy it, uh, but it's about this one month that was very pivotal Pivotal when Russian revolutionaries overthrew the czar, but it was before the communists took power. Um, and the U.S. was still not in World War I, but suddenly, oh, Russia threw out the czar. Maybe we could turn World War I into a crusade for democracy, and a month later, we are in the war. And as you know, for the rest of human history in the last, you know, 105 years, we've had nothing but peace and happiness and democracy around the world. So obviously Woodrow Wilson was right. I'm uh, being, uh, you know, being sarcastic. Um, uh, it, it was, it was, a, it was a pivotal moment for the United States uh, where yes. we, we took that plunge and made world affairs, our business. And, and, with some, some gaps haven't really given it up since.
1: Yeah, well, that brings us to today, doesn't it? You were talking 105 years, and here we are. We're still we're still doing it. Well, thank you again, and uh, we wish you um, all the best in your retirement. What a stellar career, and we thank you again uh, for your service.
0: Thank you, Jerry. It's been a pleasure.
1: All right, and we will be back next week with another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. Until then, always remember, read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. With The Front Row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print
0: news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in The Front Row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career, covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.